with me to um, that portion of scripture, Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Now, um, in my early days of faith, when I first became a believer, and I was sort of first introduced to Christian hymns, uh, there was a sort of theme in these songs I really struggled to get my head around. And it was the theme of God as my friend. I was kind of struggling with that, you know, singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. Or, um, you know, the, the hymn, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds, the lyrics in that, Jesus, my saviour and shepherd and, and friend. You know, I really, really struggle with that. I'd be all right with God as, as a saviour or something like that, you know, something safe. Or maybe God as king. But God is my friend. It seemed almost kind of disrespectful in some ways, you know. It seemed almost irreverent, I guess. Well, tonight we come to a portion of Scripture that deals with this subject. And really what it does is kind of lift the lid on the incredible intimacy that can exist between us, between man and God. And what we'll do is we'll approach this chapter slightly differently to the way that we normally would. Um, Because you can see in your Bibles that even as you follow through Paul as he's reading that, you can see that Genesis 18 is kind of broken into two, isn't it? Well, we'll follow that. That'll be our lead. And tonight we'll have two main headings, each with two sub-points. So if you can picture that, two main headings, each with two subheadings. And let's, let's just get into it. Let's make a start. Our first main heading is this. It is Abraham, God, and Sarah. And our first subpoint then is intimacy and hospitality. Intimacy and hospitality. Okay, what have we got here? What's going on in this chapter? Well, at the beginning of the chapter, what we find is, is basically Abraham kind of chill out on his front porch, isn't he? I mean, have a look at verse 1 here. We've got Abraham, and he's kind of sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. So he's basically chilling out on his front porch. And then all of a sudden, what he does is he kind of lifts up his head, and he sees three men that are standing not all that far away. Now, what you and I know, what we know because of the editorial comment that sort of begins this chapter, is that this is a pretty unusual group of guys, isn't it? Because what we know is that one of these three men was the Lord himself, with the other two men being his angels or his attendants. So that's what we've got. These are the three, the three guys, the three men that are here. But really what kind of jumps out at us in this first section here is surely the lavish hospitality that, that Abram shows these three men, doesn't he? I mean, he, come on, he goes to town here with this hospitality. It's like a scene from Downton Abbey. Genesis 18, with that guy. Who's the guy in Downton Abbey, the butler guy? Uh, Mr. Carson. 
you know, sort of scurrying about after the, what is it, the Crawley family. Look at Abram, look what he does here. He's got these visitors. He hurries towards them. Then he bows in their presence. Then he prepares their food. And then, just as you would see in Downton Abbey, when these three men are eating, what Abram does, he doesn't eat with them, but he kind of stands near them, overseeing them just like a servant would. So it's lots, incredible hospitality here. But I think what is worthy of note here is that Abram is not necessarily showing this hospitality because he thinks that one of his visitors is divine. You see? That, that's not what's going on here. I mean, yes, think about this. Later on in the chapter, Abram's definitely going to understand that one of these three people is the Lord later on. But there's no indication at the beginning of the chapter that Abram himself knows that this is the case. And in fact, what we're seeing here in Genesis 18 is actually what would be fairly typical of hospitality in the ancient Near East at this time. Because in this part of the world, in Abram's day, visitors, a guest to your home, that was a big deal. You know, if you got a guest, you know, guests were to be treated as special. In fact, guests to your home really were sort of the the sort of people that should be revered. Now, I guess we can sort of relate to that, can't we? You know, let's say that this week there's going to be a posh family coming round to visit your home. Do you know any posh families? Uh, the Pearson family, they're, they're going to come round and visit you this week. Now, what are you going to do? If a posh family comes, you're going to buy a new shirt or whatever and you know, you're going to spruce yourself up a wee bit. Yeah, you're going to make a bit of effort for these visitors. Well, it's kind of like that here but with bells on, you know? It's much more pronounced guests in Abram's day. These were almost kind of sacred. To show hospitality is an incredibly special thing. And because of that, because of what Abram does here in Genesis 18, surely we've got license just now for us to reflect on how we as the congregation view hospitality and how we view visitors. Because you see, what we know is that here, obviously, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, hospitality, it is is an essential and an expected part of life for the covenant community, okay? It is crucial. And what we learn in Genesis 18 can really kind of help us to, to work out what that hospitality should look like. Take visitors to the church as an example. Perhaps what we should be doing as a congregation is taking a leaf out of Abram's book here and perhaps we should be showing a degree of reverence to visitors. That we should think about visitors that come through those doors as people sent to us by God. You know, as a congregation we should be making real effort people, to welcome people, to make people feel at home. And perhaps on top of that, and this is important, perhaps we should be hosting people as if we were hosting the Lord himself. 
Because you see, what we, what we need to grasp here is that Abram, I don't know if you noticed it, but he does something in these verses that is immensely appropriate, although he has got no idea, I don't think, that it is appropriate. What does he do? Well, these, sort of, these visitors come to him, and he kind of promises them some water and a bit of bread, doesn't he? He makes that sort of promise. But then he doesn't do that. What does he actually do? He prepares tender meat. What does he prepare? He prepares the choicest calf. He prepares meat that later on in Scripture we know is appropriate for sacrifice to God. Do you see? Without even knowing it, Abraham gives to God that which is exactly appropriate. And friends, such should be the welcome that we extend to visitors. Such should be the hospitality that we show from our homes. That it should be done as though we are, I guess, literally serving the Lord. It should be done reflecting the intimacy that we have with our God. Hebrews 13.2 Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, get this, for by so doing, some have entertained angels without knowing it. So intimacy and hospitality. Second subheading, intimacy and promise. Intimacy and promise. Okay, now, I'm sure we've all seen uh, that moment on a, a TV show or a film where there's a person and they are absolutely desperate to hear what is going on in the next room. So what they do is they pick up a glass and they stick it to their lug and they put it up to the water, their ear, sorry, and they, and they listen uh, to see if they can hear what's going on. Well, that's kind of what we see here in uh, Genesis 18, isn't it? Because after this... Um, scene of intimacy where God comes to Abram's house to eat at his house. God then turns his attention to Sarah, doesn't he? And God asks Abram where his wife is. Where is Sarah? Now, first thing we've got to think about here, first thing I want you to see is Sarah's doubt. Because she's got the glass up to her ear, doesn't she? She's at the tent. She's eavesdropping on Abram's conversation and she hears the Lord and she hears the Lord become even more specific with this promise that he's made doesn't she you know she hears that exactly 12 months from this point you know exactly a year from now God promises that this son that's been talked about so much will be born look at her reaction it's like it's not what's that like father, like son. It's not quite like that, is it? It's like husband, like wife. Because just as Abraham had done in the previous chapter, what does Sarah do? She hears from God. What's her reaction? Come on. She laughs. She laughs at God. Now, do you see why she does that? In verse 12, do you see why she's skeptical? She laughs. We're told that she's worn out. She regards herself as worn out. Now, the language there is really interesting. It's, it's the expression that we might use, let's say, of a pair of jeans. 
you know how it is. You've got a pair of jeans that you love, okay? And just think they're the best item of clothing you've got. And you've had them for years and years, though. And you sort of take them out of the cupboard. You're going to wear these pair of jeans because you look great in this pair of jeans. But you've had them for so long, and now they're a wee bit tatty, you know? They're a wee bit dirty, they're a wee bit, bit misshapen. And you look at this pair of jeans and you think, I don't think I can get away with these anymore, right? Well, she uses that sort of language of herself here. I mean, she says, I am, I am worn out. I am just too old to even think about having a kid. So she doubts. But then, then note God's response to this doubt, because it's loving, it is so gracious. Because such is God's knowledge that although Sarah's laughed to herself and she has only thought these things, God knows. And so what he does to assure her, God shows he's heard her and he repeats the promise. Now, what should we be thinking? How, how do we apply that? What should we be thinking about here? Well, isn't it true that... that, that Sometimes, even though we have got intimacy with God as Christians, okay, even though we have that friendship with God through Christ, that despite that, we can have a similar response to God's promises, similar to the reaction that Sarah has here. That we can think of the promises that God has made us in Jesus Christ. We can think of these promises as being too You see, take our forgiveness as the obvious example. Now, what do we know as Christians? We know that what Christ has done for us is all of our sins gone. That not some of our sin, not just a portion of our sin, but everything, all that wickedness, all of that sin, white clean in Jesus Christ. But in the way we think sometimes, it is like we don't quite believe that, isn't it? That we know deep down maybe that all of our sin is gone. But it's like sometimes that the guilt of specific sin still lingers, doesn't it? You know, there's some things that we do it's like we can't escape the guilt of these things. That it, it, Really, that guilt walks with us. It kind of almost appears to stand behind us, looming over us. It's like we don't quite believe the promise, isn't it? And perhaps also this promise of forgiven sin seems too good to be true for people who are not Christians. And perhaps the problem there. It's the same problem as Sarah. It's the problem of age. You see, we can perhaps think as an unbeliever, well, okay, this promise of forgiven sin, if I'd been younger, fine. I could deal with that. I could go with that. But now I'm older. And now I've done some terrible things. And now I've done some things that God is never, ever going to forgive. 
Do you maybe think like that? Well, the great thing, the thing I love about this portion of Scripture in Genesis 18 is it is very difficult not to read this chapter and to be transported forward. It's very difficult not to read Genesis 18 and think about another episode in the future, an episode where God again appears as man, an episode where the Word becomes flesh. An episode where Jesus comes to earth. And let me tell you this. The intimacy that we read of in these verses here, it ain't nothing compared to the intimacy that Jesus Christ provides with the Father. So know this. It is not too good to be true. And the promise should never be laughed at. 1 Peter 3.18. Get this. Christ died for sins. Once and for all. So we've seen Abraham, God, and Sarah. Let's move in. Let's move into this next section. Look at it from verse 16. Please look at it. Let's think about Abraham, God, and Sodom. Abraham, God, and Sodom. And our subpoint is intimacy and obedience okay so these heavenly visitors that have come they've done half of the job okay they've done one of the two things that they've come to do they have relayed the specifics of this promise to Sarah so they now they turn their attention to Sodom now what they do can you see it is they rise from their meal they've had their food they get up and along with Abraham they set off for Sodom and everyone, even if you've never been in a church before, you know what's going to happen, don't you? They are going to act in judgment over that wicked city. Now, I think it's quite interesting. You can disagree with me later if you want. But I think it's quite interesting to look and read the divine thought that we've got here. Look, we are. We're given access into the mind of God here. Because God kind of, he deliberates with himself, doesn't he, about whether or not he should tell Abraham about his plans. You know, God's saying, will I tell Abraham that I'm going to destroy this wicked city? Will I tell him? Will I not tell him? And again, because of this intimacy, God decides, yep, I will. I will tell Abraham about my plan. Now, We're given a couple of reasons why God decides that he should tell Abraham about his plan to destroy Sodom. So what are they? Well, you know how parents are with their kids, don't you? Um, Because, I think it's understandable, to be honest. You know, because parents love their children, they want their kids to sort of follow in their moral footsteps, don't they? You know, because parents love their kids, they want the kids to grow up and kind of share the same values as they have. I'm sure that's the case with you and your parents and your kids, if you have any. Well, that's really the first reason why God chooses to tell Abraham 
about his plan to destroy Sodom. God reveals this because he wants his son. He wants Abram, his covenant child, to follow in his values. He wants Abram to see that God is going to destroy wickedness. He wants Abram to see that God is a God of justice, that he's a God of fairness, that he is a God of righteousness. So he tells him. And then if anything, the second reason that that God reveals this plan to Abram is even more simple, straightforward. God tells him, tells Abram, because he wants Abraham to teach his own kids about the ways of God. Do you see that? Look at verse 19, if your Bibles are open. No, God's saying, will I tell Abraham about destroying Sodom? Will I not tell him? And he says, I will. Why? So that he will direct his children in the ways of the Lord. So here we go. At that, let me speak to the folk in here you would not expect me to speak to on this. Let me speak to the folk in here who do not have children. Perhaps you're like Sarah. You know, perhaps you think, I'm never having kids. Perhaps you think the idea of having kids is a long, long time in the future. Perhaps it freaks you out. If you don't have kids, please hear this. See, in evangelism, when we are, when we are talking to people and, and talking about Jesus Christ, we often say to people, don't delay, don't we? You know, you're, you're, you're speaking to somebody who's really interested in Jesus Christ, and you say, look, don't put it off. Don't delay. Come now to, to Jesus Christ. Well, I would say to you tonight that the Bible places this incredible, really is an enormous emphasis on the need for us to teach our children about what God is like. But first of all, what does that mean? It means that we have to know what God is like. We have to know that inside out. And so what I would say to you tonight is don't put that off. Don't you dare think, when I have kids, I'm really going to tweak my spiritual life and bring it up a notch or two. Don't think like that. I mean, don't think, oh, when I have kids, I'm going to really change and I'm going to make sure that I am on the ball spiritually. Don't think like that. Now, in advance of having kids, do you see? Now, whether you've got kids or not, now is the time to set your heart on God and learn all about your Lord, your Creator. So, Intimacy, obedience. Look, this is our last thing. Fourthly, lastly, let's think about intimacy and intercession. Intimacy and intercession. Do you have a bucket list? Do you? Sort of a list of things that you want to do before you die. Do you have a list of places that you want to go? Before you die, I do not have a bucket list. Um, I would, however, love to go to 
Marrakesh at some point and to sort of see, you know, the, the markets there and all the sort of the, the craziness of it all and the sort of the, the bartering that happens there. Well, even if I don't get to Marrakesh, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get to Marrakesh, I can see something of the sort of bartering in Genesis 8, 18, can I? Because what happens is that God does confirm to Abraham that he, yes, intends to destroy this wicked city of Sodom. And although it's, it, it kind of it remains in the background, doesn't it? It kind of remains unsaid. When Abraham hears that Sodom is going to be destroyed, he's clearly concerned. Why is he concerned? Because his nephew, Lot, lives in that city. And so what Abraham does, and it is bold, he confronts the Lord. Remember, they are walking towards Sodom. And Abram stops. He's standing before God. And what does he do? He intercedes on behalf of that city. Now, there's a lot we could say about that, isn't there? I mean, it's, it is a bold thing to do to God. And it's an earnest thing to do. We could talk about that. We could talk even about the fact that he is interceding on behalf of his enemies before God here, the people of Sodom. But instead of that, I just want us to notice one thing. Abraham intercedes here by appealing to the character, by appealing to the nature of God. Now, do you see that? I mean, he's bartering with God. You know, he's saying, he's asking whether God will save Sodom eh, for the sake of 50 righteous people. What about that? What about 45 righteous people? Would you save Sodom for 30 righteous people? There's this bartering all the way right down to 10. But you see, he's, he's appealing to God based upon his, his character. He's, he's appealing to God here and he's saying, but you're God. I mean, you're Yahweh. You're the Lord. Far be it from you to destroy the righteous with the wicked. And What we see as the section ends is that because of this glorious intimacy in their relationship, what does God do? He listens to this guy. God listens to him and he repeatedly assures Abram of God's own justice. It's like, Abram, I'm God. Of course, I've got this. I would never allow the righteous to be destroyed alongside the wicked. And I think, honestly, that there's, there's reason for comfort. There is reason for, for us to take great strength from this as we go home tonight. Because it, isn't it just an, an amazing thought that we've got here? That if we put a couple of things together, if we, that because of the unchangeable, the unalterable character of God and because of what Christ Jesus has done for us if we put those two things together what does it actually mean it means that we can know as Christians for certain tonight that we will never ever face judgment for sin never going to face it that God is just that God is fair And because our sin has been 
imputed to Christ because his righteousness has been imputed to us that it ain't too good to be true. It isn't too good to be true that God's character, it demands that the righteous will not be destroyed with the wicked. It demands, God's character demands that as Christians, we will be free and we will be free to spend eternity with our God in love and in grace but also in the most intimate of friendships let's pray Lord God tonight we pray